Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Thank Your Pain podcast. I'm so excited to have Spade Schumacher back in the studio. Me and Spade have known each other actually for quite a few years. We were in our young 20s, just getting started in the Hollywood scene, California. Um, And so we have a crazy background story about that, that we can either share in this podcast or during a different time. Um, But I really brought Spade in today because he has been through such a tremendous personal growth story and something that I think could really, really help many men with a lot of the things that he's been through. But the thing that we're going to zone in on today is the mother wound. The mother wound is something that we don't talk about very often, regardless, male or female, but it is something that affects a lot of men. And today, Spade is going to dive into his own mother wound, how he discovered it, how he's healing it healing it, um, the steps that he kind of uses for self-care in that regard. And we're going to see if we can help any men who are listening, who are struggling with this, start that process themselves. So thank you so much, Spade, for being here, first of all. Absolutely. Um, should we tell them quickly just about our chaotic past? So they, <laughs> I feel like people are, <laughs> might be wondering, and just start this off on a lighter note almost. Yeah, it was, it was definitely an interesting time back in Hollywood. What was that, like seven years ago, eight years ago? Oh, my ago? God. Yeah. <laughs> so insane. <laughs> well, I'll tell my side. He could tell his side. So uh, I moved out to California right when I turned 18. And um, two years I lived in Anaheim. It was awful. Wasn't chasing my dreams. Working an awful job um, at Walmart. And uh, then I finally moved to Hollywood, plucked up the courage. And the place that I found was only $500 a month, but that was because it was like this Colombian slumlord's house, right? It had 23 people in it. So there were like four bunks in my room, in a room of girls, and there were six bunks in another one, and then downstairs and in the back shed in the basement. And Spade was in the second house that this guy purchased. And he was paying even more than me. I think you paid like $750, right? No, it was five fifty, so it was okay. more, but not substantially more. Okay, so so we ended up meeting because I worked at a nutrition shop down the street. So we didn't even meet because of that. We met because he came into the nutrition shop that I worked at, and then we're like, "Oh, we live in, a, in like the same place." <laughs> Crazily enough, what's really funny about the nutrition shop is for the first year I knew you, I actually thought you were a foot taller because there's there's a step up behind. Well, the I gotta bring that there. up. <laughs> Anyway, the nutrition shop, I'd go in there a couple of times a week. I was actually, I was studying for a role that I had gotten. So I got cast as a Greek god, as Apollo. And so I was, I was studying nutrition and physical fitness and bodybuilding for a solid six months. So I, I'd go into that nutrition shop pretty frequently. You actually introduced me to maca. I drink that every day. You drink it every day? Just about every day. Sometimes I take a break from it, but every day just in my protein shake yeah that's awesome dude I don't even remember like chunks of my life from that time period (laughs) so I'm glad you remember little things like being introduced to maca so anyway guys I just wanted to uh introduce you to that that crazy tale because obviously there was a reason both me and Spade decided to go on the certain journeys that we had right um and what ultimately led us to our lives now both of us being very into self-healing very into living a natural life and helping other people. Spade himself, you know, is the creator of Inspire Nation t-shirts. 
you know, creating a community to inspire people by what they wear, sending positive affirmations and messages out to the universe. So diving into that, you know, I have my own story of my dysfunctional childhood. Um, and now I would like Spade to be able to talk a little bit about his story and, and the mother wound, like we talked about, uh, in the introduction. So over to you, Spade. Absolutely. Thank you, Elise. So going to the mother wound, I feel like we all have wounds of some sort of sense or another. Everybody has their own wounds. And for a lot of men, we all have these mother wounds. And I feel like the, the motherly relationship that we're all kind of expecting in life is that of a, a person that is nourishing, that's there for us, that you know feeds us and teaches us what we need to know and basically is there for us. And all kinds of wounds have different, different reasons for actually being wounds. And my, my reason specifically was uh, my mother had, it was a fear of abandonment because growing up, my mother was there. Sometimes she was, sometimes she wasn't. My parents actually got divorced when I was about three years old. And so I went back and forth between mom's house and between dad's house going back and forth with custody. Sometimes my sister would go with me and be at the same parent's house, sometimes be at the other one. At some point in time, I actually didn't even know where my mom was for like three years. And there was just like a big custody battle between my mom and my dad. And then when uh, they finally got that all settled out, I had no idea what was going on. The good thing is I gained the ability to adapt to change early in life. However, during that time in my life, I constantly felt lost. I constantly felt under misunderstood. I felt like nobody cared. And many times I would cry myself to sleep at night with the mantra, it's not a good mantra, but nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. And I would cry myself to sleep like that. And when I was at my dad's house and I'd hear them arguing in the extra room over, I would hide under my bed or in my closet trying to escape all of the 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 fear uh that my dad projected of anger all of the the depression that my mom projected i would hide under my bed and i was at her house and i heard her just going off on these random fits and she was going through a hard time in her life as well i've come to understand that and accept her for who she is but there was many times in my life where i thought she didn't care because all all signs kind of pointed to that she worked really hard as a substitute teacher. She worked as a teacher so she could be home, so she could take the summers off and the weekends off and spend time with us. However, she went through a lot of trials and errors during my last years of high school. And she, she would pretty much, she would get home from work. So she paid the bills. She had food in the, in the kitchen and the fridge and everything. But when it came to the social environment at home, she would come home from work. She would lock herself in a room with a bottle of wine, sorry, with a box of wine. And occasionally she would come out on a drunk rampage. It was never physically violent, but mentally and emotionally violent for sure. And I felt how I felt observing that. And I never wanted to show anybody that. I never wanted to allow other people to feel that fear that I felt from her. And same thing with my father, but she was physically there. But I mentally and emotionally, felt abandoned because she wasn't there for us my little brothers uh so i have 
two little brothers. Walker is about eight years younger than me. My little brother, Chris, is about four years younger than me. And then I had my sister, which is a year and a half older than me. So my sister and I had to basically raise our two little brothers, make sure they had lunch packed, make sure that there was dinner on the table. And I had to become an adult very early in life with a lot of responsibilities. And given I was a rebellious skateboarder and I would just like run away and go skate a lot of times, but between the both of us, we had to skip a lot of our childhood. And for many years, I blamed my mother for that because I felt abandoned. I felt like she should have been there. She should have done this. She should have done that. But at a certain point in my life, I realized that I was shooting all over myself. You know, a lot of times we, we have these expectations in life. This should be like this. This should be like that. And I was just playing the blame game. I was blaming everybody and everything for the way that I felt. But it was around 20 years old, around the first time that I first moved out to Los Angeles was... I was, I was blaming everybody else. I was actually living with a friend and his family just out of high school. And I was working security, wasn't making enough to be able to have my own place. So I lived with my friend and his family. And he, um, he was a pretty good kid. You know, he drank and stuff, but like he didn't smoke weed or do drugs or anything. But I smoked weed and I liked it. And I, he was my good friend. And I didn't, I didn't want to hurt him. So I would lie to him. And I would go out and smoke weed or whatever. So I eventually I started hanging out with different friends and different people. This is around when I was 20 years old. And I will never forget there was this one day that we went out and we started doing different drugs. And so we went to this house that was from a different person. I never heard of them. We went into the house and it was a two-story, sorry, not two-story, two-bedroom apartment. And there was nothing in it. I had to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom. I saw a roll of toilet paper. Came back out and met with everybody else. People sitting on the ground. There was a microwave in the kitchen. That's all there was in the entire house. There's a microwave in the kitchen and a roll of toilet paper in the bathroom. And I asked them, I said, like, hey, you guys just moved in? And they're like, no, we've been here for about two or three years. And then I just had this epiphany. I was like, whoa. So there's a point in our life when we recognize patterns and we become aware of where we are in our situation and where that is leading if we continue the same things we're doing. So it was then and there that I realized, wow, this is where I could be in two or three years if I keep doing this stuff. And not only that, I was lying to myself about who I was and I was lying to my friend and my roommate about who I was. I couldn't be myself. And so I felt like I was lost again. I felt like I abandoned myself and I felt like there was nobody else that was there to help me out. I felt like I was all alone in this world. And those, those feelings of fear and abandonment, that mother wound, they just got retouched. And I was through those drugs at the time, I was searching for a feeling of placement. I was feeling, I was, I needed to feel okay. I just didn't feel okay around that time. I felt like I was out of place, felt like I didn't belong. And it was around that time, that was when I just kind of, I went home that night and I literally went on Google and I Googled the phrase, person or uh, how to be a better person. I Googled how to be a better person. And that's when I found the topic of personal development, personal growth, 
And I started delving into that. It was so fascinating. I was like, wait, you can literally teach yourself to be a better person. You can train yourself to be and do anything that you want. I found the, the, uh, the website pickyourbrain.com. It's like picking your nose, pick the brain. Find a lot of gold up there. And uh, it's pickthebrain.com. And I would just study that and I read it. And a friend of mine, River, actually introduced me to acting at that point in time. I just moved out to Los Angeles. Started getting into acting, realized that acting is the study of life. Eventually got into life coaching between the personal development and the acting. And the mother wound would come and go. Sometimes I would feel like I was in the right place at the right time. And other times something would trigger it. Something would, and I wouldn't, I wasn't aware of it at the time because I wasn't, I wasn't looking for it. It's hard to find something you're not looking for. And, but I would just, I would get these, these, uh, these feelings, these triggers when something wasn't happening, whether it was, I was at work and I would put my all in, I worked at a coffee bean for many years and I was the number one leader. They were telling me I was always about to get a raise and my friends and coworkers that were there, they would help me out when they felt like it. And other times they wouldn't, I would help people and everybody, whether I felt like it or not, because I felt like that was the right thing to do. But all of a sudden, when the people around me didn't match that energy, all of a sudden, I felt like I was alone again. I felt like I was abandoned. I felt like nobody was there for me. That was the mother wound again. Because that fear of abandonment, if we don't address the situation, it comes back again and again and again. It's like if you're out skateboarding or anything else that you do, and you scrape your knee or you get like a cut or a wound or something, if you don't mend the wound, it will continue to open back up and it will hurt. And if you don't even look at the wound, you're going to hurt and you're not going to know where it's hurting. So when you feel a pain, acknowledge it, accept it, analyze it, and become aware of it. Action steps from there become a lot simpler. And okay, I just have to pause you from there because that story so far is insane. And I feel like a lot of men and even women listening right now can, you know, obviously everybody has different details to their story, right? But the feeling of like abandonment when it comes to a parent, even if it was super unintentional, I think is really important to address because I think a lot of us also, we might feel ashamed if we look at our parents and be and feel this way, right? The truth is like, I felt abandoned, but nobody wants to admit that because they're like, my parents did the best they could. They didn't do it on purpose. And so I think it's really good to just bring up the world of and like, it's okay to feel two conflicting emotions at the same time, because like you're saying, Spade, if you don't acknowledge the wound that the pain is there and you just try to cover it up, like everything was perfect that pattern is going to keep repeating over and over again. And you're going to feel like you don't know where it's coming from. So I just had to really emphasize that point that you brought up because it's what leads us to doing drugs and getting caught up in an apartment that has only a toilet paper roll and a microwave, you know, like those moments in our lives, I find that in everyone's story, there's a certain point in time that wakes you up right? And it's, it's a wake up from the universe, from God, from whatever you believe in that says, stop, 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 pause, look around. Like you are not on the right path. And if you ignore that, like, you know, exactly where you're going, like you said. Um, but usually if you, if you actually heed it, 
you know, that, that means you're woken up and it's time for you to dive into these things. So all, all during this time, you're noticing these patterns that are popping up. Um, you know, the, the, the pain that you feel, but at that time, did you have language for it? Did you know it was the mother wound? What, at what point in time did you say, Hey, I think I'm experiencing like the pain that I'm experiencing is the mother wound. So before I, I talk about that, let me just touch on something you mentioned is that there's a certain point in your time when life just speaks to you and say, Hey, this is not right. You need to change directions. Let me just reach out to everybody and say, yes, Elise is absolutely right about that. However, it's not just one time. That's something that reoccurs and it happens over and over and it's over usually again. a million tiny ways first right yes it's exactly. always a whisper in your gut <laughs> or something goes wrong and you're like no 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 your brain tries to logic you as to why that's not happening and and things just get worse and worse and worse right until until if you're not meant to be in that path something will happen you'll get fired your boyfriend girlfriend will dump you because the universe says okay you're not taking a hint you're not listening to your intuition. So I'm just going to put you exactly where you need to be. Right. Exactly. And it's, you, you mentioned something. You said like, sometimes you, you have that feeling in your gut and that's not an accident. That's, that's not a coincidence. Literally 80% of our central nervous system lies in our gut, in our mm -hmm. lower intestine. So if we have that gut feeling, it's life speaking through us to make a change or a direction. And sometimes our, our gut is more or less like, have you ever listened to somebody you're having a conversation and have a mouthful of food? It's kind of hard to understand them. It's the same thing like with our gut. If we have things that are readily and fast processing food, a lot of vegetables, a lot of nutrients, a lot of minerals, that gut is able, the gut health is able to, those words a lot more clearly. But if our gut's filled with pizza and ice cream, it might be a little muffled and it's harder to understand it. But I just wanted to reach on that point really quick. Uh, so going back to your original question about, did I have a specific language? Did I know it was the mother wound? Absolutely not. I just knew something was wrong. I felt that feeling in my gut. I don't, I don't feel good about this. Well, what's, what's happening? Um, it just, it just, it wasn't, I didn't feel like I was in the right place at the right time. I didn't, something was like screaming in my head. This is not working. This has, something has to change. So when did you discover that it was the mother wound? Did you have to like go to therapy or coaching or so like? That's actually a really interesting uh, part of the story there was I was going back and forth between addressing that mother wound, not knowing what it was. I was, it was pretty much like, you know, if I get a cut on my arm and all of a sudden I feel pain, but I don't understand where it's coming from. And so I take some Tylenol or maybe, you know, maybe I wrap the other arm in a bandage. Maybe that'll help. And I was just trying things blindly, throwing things out there that I was reading from personal development articles and conversations I would have with people. Oh, you should try this. I think a lot of you, if you've ever been sick before and you told somebody, a lot of people are quick to jump to a solution. Oh, I tried this one time. You, you should uh, take some B vitamins or, oh, you should uh, chop up some onion and throw it in your socks or whatever it is, you know, but a lot of people are quick to jump to a solution. And at that, those different times in my life, I was quick to jump to a solution. 
I heard that there was a solution for the problem I believed I had. I would throw it in. I didn't care what it was. I would try it because the feeling that I had, I needed change no matter what. And my, my teachability index was so high at that point. I was, I was able to try anything. I was willing to do anything and I was willing to relearn everything. So I would try one thing after another, one thing after another. And I was actually living in Los Angeles in a loft. It's like a dream that I had for a long time with the, the brick wall, super hipster, you know? And it was an eighth story of this, uh, this apartment in downtown Los Angeles. And it was everything I thought. I had my own apartment, it was locked downtown, but I didn't have a license. I didn't have a car at the time. And I was working at that coffee bean and I would travel on the bus two hours to get to work in the Santa Monica Pier and two hours back. So it's four hours of my life just traveling. And then I would finally get to work and I would put in my all, I would put in my everything. And eventually it was, I was doing that day in and day out. It's basically living paycheck to paycheck. I was doing what I felt I needed to survive. It's in survival mode. And all of a sudden I, I felt that mother wound kept coming back and I still didn't know what it was. Didn't know what the mother wound was. I just knew I was wounded and I knew I was hurt and I felt like nobody was there for me. And it kind of sucked. And eventually I had a mental breakdown, quite literally. Um, I just remember going to work one day and I was mustering through it. I felt all these emotions flooding into my brain and through my heart. And it was, felt all the pain at once, all the pain that I had been running away from, all the pain I had been stuffing inside. Whenever it came out, oh, nobody wants to see that. I would put it back in. I feel angry. Oh, nobody wants to see that. I would put it back inside. Oh, there's people that are feeling worse than me. Oh, there's, there's people in worse situations. I don't deserve to feel like this. I would stuff it all inside. I would put it all inside. So I was wounded, but I was trying to walk it off. I was pretending like I was totally fine. And that was not okay. And uh, eventually, after thousands and thousands of hints of my body and my gut saying, hey, you need to change something. Because I wasn't meant to be at the coffee bean. I wasn't meant to live at that apartment. I wasn't meant to be doing four hours of travel every day. Maybe that was part of my journey. I agree with that. However, long-term, my soul and my body and my mind and my heart knew that was not what was in my, my future. So I kept saying, hey, something needs to change. Maybe something in a different way. Hey, this needs to change. Something needs to change. And I kept, no, get out of here. I don't want to hear that. Nothing needs to change. It's, it's going great. And uh, I would, that was like my, that was my phrase. I would always tell myself, it's all going to be okay. Everything it's it's great. Everything's fine. It's fine. I'm sure you've heard that from yourself or other people. It's fine, but it's not all fine. And if you keep telling yourself it's fine when it's not, we don't acknowledge those things, we break down. And I broke down. It was uh, two days in particular. The one day I went in, I mustered it. I covered everything up. And people were actually asked me, they, my middle name is Dean. And so people call me Dean over there, or sometimes they call me Coffee Dean. And um, so they would come on and say, Dean, are you okay? Like, you're not smiling today. I was like, Dean, like, what, what's going on? You're different today. And they recognized it. I didn't recognize it. So basically, uh, I held it all in. I was really feeling it that day, but I covered it up. And I went home. I walked into my front door. And the second I was in solitude with myself, by myself, I walk into my house. I didn't have to hide my feelings and emotions from the world, from my coworkers, from the random bystanders on the bus, from the random people in public. It's hiding from the whole world. 
but all of a sudden when I came into my house, I couldn't hide from myself. And I walked straight past my bathroom, the doors open, and I look, and what do I see? I see my mirror, but I didn't see myself in the mirror. I saw a monster. I saw a person I didn't like. Maybe physically I looked the same, but I could see all of my emotions in the eyes of that person, of that man in the mirror. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And I looked and I stepped a couple of steps closer and I didn't want to break anything. So I really wanted to punch the mirror because I didn't like myself. I didn't like who I saw in the mirror. I felt all those emotions of anger. I felt all the sadness and depression that I felt. Uh, everything that I've been hiding, I saw in my eyes. And I knew that I was giving that off to other people. And it hurt. I tore my whole entire place up. I, I tore the, the, the shower curtain down. I went and flipped my couch upside down. I just, I felt everything. I went through this, uh, this mental withdrawal and uh, I tore the whole entire apartment up. And I went and I had this big bay window, eight story apartment building, opened up the window and I just stared eight stories down at the ground. And that's when I felt thoughts of suicide. I really wanted to jump out the window. And uh, I wasn't drunk and smoking weed. This is all hundred percent sober, but I was drunk with my thoughts. And I was not okay. I was not okay. But I stared eight stories down. And that whole entire thing was like maybe four hours. And eventually it was like two in the morning. I had to work the next day. And I was like, I just need to sleep this off. I'm going to feel better tomorrow. So I just flipped my couch back over, went to sleep, woke up in the morning. I was like, whoa, I tore this place up. I went, I looked at myself in the mirror. I saw a different person. It was a person who was uh, numb, masking it. I didn't see anything. It was just a dude wearing a mask. And I was like, okay, well, that's better than how it was last night. So I went to work and thinking everything was fine. I stuffed all those emotions back inside and I'm sitting on the bus and all of a sudden <laughs> emotions flooding me. Whoa, what the hell was that? What was I thinking about? What triggered those emotions? Nothing, they just happened. They, they weren't from anything. They just happened, right? And that happened in like three different cycles. And so it'd go from like everything numb to everything flooding my emotions and I feel overwhelmed. I feel angry for no reason. I would think, uh, you know, the whole world was against me. Maybe I felt depression or like sad or like just everything. I didn't even know what was happening. I felt like, like somebody drugged me, but it was just all these emotions. And emotion is energy in motion. And if we stop that, that flow of motion, we stop that flow of energy and it gets backed up. What happens to a dam when all of a sudden that the dam is gone, it floods the entire space beyond it. And that's what was happening. I was being flooded with emotion. I get to work and I went straight to the HR department and I just broke down. I was like, I'm sorry, I don't know what's happening to me right now, but I'm responding. I'm responsible for the customers. I'm responsible for my team. And I am not okay today. I need to take a personal health day. I need to take a mental health day. So I can't come in. I don't care how busy you are. I need today for me. And uh, they're like, okay, yeah, do your thing. I can tell you're distressed. I knew something needed to change. And that, that very first step I took was telling work, hey, I can't come in today. I need to take a mental health day. And so what I did, I was, I just, I called up my stepmom 
and uh and she was like hey i don't know what's happening right now but you feel like you're not okay uh she just kind of walked me through it and uh she got me out of there she said well just smile just smile and i was like well, what do i need to smile i don't have anything to smile about she said just do it actually the next person that crosses your path just smile at him and i was like fine and i smiled at him and i was like hey that that actually kind of made me feel a little better you know and she's like that's good you know there's one step out of that and then all of a sudden i saw this parasail with a giant smiley face a yellow smiley face if you guys have ever been to santa monica i'm sure you've seen it um and i found another reason to smile so i told her i was like thank you for helping me feel a little better i hung up and then it was like sunset I was just hanging out at the beach all day, just trying to get my thoughts right. All of a sudden, all the emotions flooded me again. I wasn't even at work. I didn't have any responsibilities I had to attend to. And I just felt like running again. I felt like running away from the fear of abandonment from my coworkers. And originally, it was the fear of abandonment from my mother. But now I felt it in my coworkers. I just knew something had to change. I just felt like running away from my problems. I grabbed my skateboard and I skated down the boardwalk as fast as I could as fast as I could. And I ran out of all my energy, use all my energy. Finally got to the Okay. And we, we just need to beach. pause right there and go back. Cause I want to emphasize because all you have so many little pieces in here that are so good and so relatable. And, and I really want to emphasize kind of like the breakdown, right? Because what I see as a pattern in a lot of men is the mask. Like you said, just putting a mask on, pushing the emotions down. I'm fine. It's going to be okay. People have it worse. I don't deserve to feel this way again and again. And again, we push it down. So what it creates is this incredible imbalance of not being able to recognize emotions, understand them or control them. Right. Because, and, and I love your damn um, example I use the example of like a boiling pot on the stove, right? You have something cooking and there's there's no uh, escape to let the steam out. What eventually happens? It explodes, right? It's going to explode. And so I don't know if you would agree, but even us as a society, being able to be taught how to recognize and process emotions and not be ashamed of what they are and how they feel so that they don't end up controlling us. Because essentially that's what happens is they end up taking over and we, we don't know how to handle them. I 100% agree with that. I feel like society in general, especially for men, we've been taught to real men don't cry. You have to hold it in, act like a man, all these different phrases that have been programmed into our subconscious and into our, our idea of how life should be is every single person, man or woman, anything is, we have emotions are a gift in life. And I don't know if you're familiar with the emotional guidance system or the emotional guidance scale. It's if energy is in motion, we're given that those, those emotions and feeling them in our gut with our central nervous system to be able to understand they're here to guide us. Mm -hmm. This is okay. This isn't okay. But all of a sudden, if we're not able to share those perspectives with the people that we care about, with our friends, our family, our coworkers, our loved ones, our spouse, when we can't let those things out and gain a, a further understanding for ourselves what that is, then like you said, it just gets blocked up and eventually it explodes. And then all of a sudden the people around us look like, where did that come from? Well, it came from you not letting it out in little increments at a time. Yes, yes, because at the same time, 
if you actually learn how to understand and process your emotions, there's this whole narrative for men that you're weak if you feel emotions. But what I tell men is that you're actually only operating as half the man you could be when you ignore your emotions. Because a man who is an emotionally adept can actually think constructively and logically much better than a person who ignores their emotional guides, right? Because that's the most um, accurate compass that we have, right? Is, is our intuition and our stomach. And you, like you said in the beginning, it comes in, in little, little bits, little hints. So the easier you trust yourself, the easier life gets. It's not like you have to have an explosion. You know, you stop having these crazy ups and downs and you have a much more balanced life. And on top of that, you don't fear your emotions anymore because you realize that feelings don't necessarily mean facts, right? Because even when we're talking about the mother wound, um, even if we feel abandoned or alone, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are abandoned and alone. And I think that's really important to think about too. And it doesn't invalidate how we feel, but once you understand how you feel, you can look at it from a different perspective, right? Um, so, I wonder if you have a kind of perspective like that now that you've kind of gone through years of, of looking at the mother wound and healing it, if, if that's one of the perspectives you've also taken on. Yeah, I love that point that you touched on about feeling one thing and knowing another thing. We literally have two different sides of our brains that acknowledge and access the information that we perceive through our eyes in different ways. So many years, I actually, so bringing, going back to that story, when I was having that mental breakdown, long story short, I went home, I looked out that window again, and I just felt the suicide, the suicidal thoughts. And I knew I was not safe with myself at that night. So I called my stepmom and I ended up flying out to Sacramento. And because I was feeling suicidal, I was not safe with myself. I admitted myself into a mental institution. And when I was in there, I learned all the different coping tools, mechanisms, how to understand where I am. Uh, I learned a lot about Huna or Ho'oponopono, it's Hawaiian metaphysics, and able the, the ability to understand our emotions, what has triggered them, what the past is and what it could be, but really understanding the different tools that we have for emotional responsibility. Because we all have emotions, they're here to guide us but it's our responsibility to utilize them and use them in effective ways that work for us and work for our, the world around us. So even if we love everybody and everything in the world around us, we don't take care of ourselves. Our, our body and our mind is a vessel. It's, a, it's a, a vehicle to make things happen, to get to a destination and to help other people to get to destinations. But if our battery dies, if we run out of gas, we can't take ourselves or anybody else anywhere. So when I realized all the tools that I had from that experience, that's where I gained the term, the mother wound. And I was able to recognize all the different tools that I had available. So to be able to access those information, it's, it was around that point in time where I forgave my mother for the first time. I said it out loud. I wrote it on paper a couple of times. I said, I, I, I forgive you. I wrote her a letter, didn't send it, but I, I wrote it out. So I express it, get it out. Uh, I wrote about all the things that I didn't like and, you know, the things that I felt abandoned for and all these reasons. And, and I forgave her. And I logically, 
I, I was able to understand she is who she is. And at some point, my sister actually told me, because she has had similar problems with her as well, but she maintained a speaking relationship with her. I didn't talk to my mother for seven years. And because I just wanted to distance myself from that. I see the patterns in her life. I don't want to take on those patterns. If I'm not around her, I don't have to become that, right? Well, yes and no. But my sister had told me, she said, I've come to accept our mother as doing the best she knows how to be. Doing the best she knows how to do. Maybe she could be better. Maybe she could do other things. But that's our shoulds. That's our expectations. And I was placing those expectations onto her. She is who she is, and she's going to be who she's going to be. But when I decided to reestablish a relationship with my mom about two, three years ago, I took that phrase to heart. Our mother is doing the best that she knows how to be. And so I started accepting her for who she was. But then also, instead of putting up walls and calling them boundaries, I began to understand and research what boundaries actually were. Boundaries aren't to keep both sides out. That's what a wall is for. And I built up that emotional wall around my heart so I wouldn't be hurt again, so I wouldn't feel abandoned again. But when I understood that boundaries are for our own personal benefit and for a communal understanding, I figured out, okay, boundaries. One time I got left at the train station at two in the morning because I got in, she was supposed to pick me up and she was just, she drank too much wine and she passed out and didn't wake up to her alone. I felt abandoned right then too. So as far as like train stuff, I, I make, if I'm coming into town on a train, I make sure I have my own right. I, I make sure that, that those parts are my responsibility. So I can't be let down by that, but I'm not gonna continue to be selfish by distancing her out of my life. I put up boundaries so that I could continue the relationship, rebuild the relationship, but know that I'm safe. Know that I won't be abandoned because I'm here for myself and I have other people that are here for me as well. She loves me, but maybe she doesn't know how to love me in that way that I expect. So that's my responsibility to meet those expectations for myself, whether it's through her or not. And it's not just putting up those boundaries for myself, but communicating those boundaries with her to let her know, this is what I expect from you. This is what I expect from me. What do you think? And at the bottom line, listening to her, trying to understand what her perspective is, and when I began to do that, I began to see substantial changes in my life in the last three years, because my biggest fear, I wasn't scared of heights and skydiving and everything. I wasn't scared of lions or tigers or bears or snakes or anything. My biggest fear in life for seven years was that my own mother didn't love me. That was that fear of abandonment. That was my fear was that my mother didn't love me. And I began to talk to her. And about a year later, after I started talking to her again, was a moment where I felt it was an okay to have that conversation with her. I told her, I opened up to her. I said, hey, this is my biggest fear. What was going on in your mind during that point in time? I'm not blaming you. I'm not saying what you did was right or wrong. I'm saying, this is how I perceived the situation. This is what I believe happened based on the information that was given me. And this is how I felt based on those things. 
So what was your side of the story? A lot of times we, uh, we take our own feelings and emotions and we ground them in reality saying, this is what it is, this is what it always will be. And that's why we feel trapped because we feel like we know things. We feel like we understand. But the truth is, we're always coming into a new knowing. We're always coming into a new understanding, especially when we begin to communicate with the people around us, within our communities, within our workplace, within our family dynamic, within our friends. When we communicate, we're able to see those different perspectives. Oh, this is how I saw this situation. Oh, this is how I saw this situation. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, that picture of there's, there's a, a number on the ground. There's people on either side of it. It's like, no, I believe it. I see that's a six right there. And the other person, no, that's a nine for sure, 100%. Nobody's right or wrong. They're 100% right with how they believe that they see the picture. If they walked around and they stepped on the other side, they could see what they were seeing too. So I, under, I began to understand how I felt about the situation. I felt abandoned. Was I actually abandoned? Was there other people that were in worse situations? Of course, there's people in worse situations. Did I feel what I felt? 100%. And when I began to validate my feelings, my emotions as a guide, it wasn't a guide to say, this is reality. These are facts. This is what it is. It's like, no, this is how I feel. I'm making life is making me feel these ways so it can guide me in a different direction to a different waypoint. So it's not a hundred percent all knowing everything. Um, and the more we learn, the more we earn. So the more I began to learn about my, my feelings and emotions, how they're guiding me, the more I learned about how I was experiencing the world, what the physiological responses were, what the psychological patterns were in my life. I began to understand myself and then I began to understand other people a lot more. And what I earned was my self-respect. I began to respect myself. I began to respect my, my boundaries. I wouldn't stop getting stepped on all over the place. I, I earned the the ability to feel okay with feeling those different things while still logically knowing that there's people in worse situations, but the, the acknowledgement of those emotions and the understanding of what the logical point was, okay, this is what happens. This is who my mother is. But at the same time, I felt like that wasn't okay. And so when I began to have those conversations with my mother, that's when I began, oh, that's exactly where the wound is. Okay. That's why I felt that way. And, and it's a constant thing. I've had that conversation with my mother at least five times now over the last two years. And every time it's hard, it's, it's really difficult. But if I'm able to sit there and just take it, it's like if you guys ever had a cold shower, it's not always pleasant, but it's always beneficial. And um, every time it, it comes up and is it right place, right time, right place, right time. And um, but just because it's the wrong place in the wrong time doesn't mean that you stuff it away. You can put it away yes. and compartmentalize it momentarily and then plan for the future. Okay, this is when I need to go over that. This is when I need to do this. And then you can plan it to process those things in the right time in the right place. But understanding it, accessing it, and then moving forward from there is the most important things I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And so a few things that you said, I love you know, just now you said, 
And I still have to have these conversations because, you know, healing is not just something we step into once and then it's over and we're all good. You know, some aspects of healing might be like that. You address something and you feel really relieved of it. It's gone. But the deeper wounds we have, the longer it might take to heal. And it might be a constant thing because we're born and we rely on our caregivers to teach us how the world works, right? We develop a template. So the deeper the issues are embedded in that template, the more you have to face the fact that your template has to change, right? If you want things to change and that requires rewriting everything that you know, right? The template creates the beliefs, which create the behaviors, which create the circumstances. It's never just one thing that puts us in a place. It's the accumulation of a bunch of little things, a bunch of little feelings and actions. And so unraveling that yarn is going to take some time. So I just want to say to any men who are listening right now and, you know, clients that I have past clients that I've had, give yourself grace in the process. One of the best gifts that you can give to yourself is the gift of self-compassion because this journey isn't easy. Relearning everything isn't easy, you know, and falling into the narrative of men just need to be strong, or I just fixed this once and it's gone or I'm over it. It's not going to serve you. It doesn't do you any favors to continue shoving it down exactly like Spade says. And when we're talking about the mother wound, we honestly should really talk about just the parent wound in general, because if usually if there's a mother wound, there's going to be a father wound and vice versa. Right. Uh, but one sometimes is more prominent the, than the other. So um, I'm really glad that you came on today and shared with us your story and your journey. And I'm sure so many men can relate. And as we're nearing the end of the, of our time together, um, do you have any last uh, bits of advice or first steps that men who are maybe just facing that they might have this mother wound uh, that they might be able to take to start their healing journey? Spade, you're muted. Great. <laughs> um, so I just want to leave you guys with two things 100% are very helpful, at least for me and my journey, I felt like they were, one is a phrase that I live by each and every day. It's energy flows where attention goes. Energy flows where attention goes. If there's one thing you got out of this podcast that I leave you with, I hope that's it. Just remember that energy flows where attention goes and that emotion is energy in motion. And as far as emotion goes, think of it the, the emotional guidance scale, the emotional guidance system is like a scale of one to 10. If you feel really low, maybe you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe you need a change. If you think about this and you don't feel good, if you're doing this and you don't feel good about it, if you have to lie about things, if, if you just don't feel hundred percent, maybe there's something that needs to change on the high end of the scale. It's when you feel like you're locked in, you're in synchronicity, you're in the flow state, everything's going right. Things are just happening. Coincidences seem more, more often. When you're on the high end of the emotional guidance scale, when you're feeling good about things, keep doing what you're doing. Maybe, maybe um, try to log your progress and your process so you can document things and you can look back and say, oh, that's what I was doing when I was feeling locked in 100% in the flow state. I, I should start doing that again. Um, 
but just recognizing where we are on that scale and allow it to guide us because energy flows where attention goes. Amazing. Thank you so much for those tips, Spade. Uh, thank you so much for everybody who's listening today and, you know, sending you the best of luck and love on your healing journey and sending you courage as well, because as, as Spade mentioned a few times, there's no fear like the fear of facing ourselves in the mirror at certain points in our lives. So remember that uh, it's not something to destroy, but something to dive into and hold and take care of. So I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks guys.